Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. So um, you have your Bible open, we're in Luke, and we're going to look over the next couple of weeks, mostly in Luke, and then we're going to start a very long, good series in a letter called 1 Corinthians, starting the first weekend of October. But I wanted to take these three weeks, we just finished Colossians, we're just getting reoriented. It's like uh, life has re-engaged for those of you who still have kids in the house. For those of you empty nesters, there was a time in your life where everything revolved around September through May or June, because that was like the school year. For those of you who are not there yet, you can't wait for that to happen. You're like, Lord, take my children out into the system so that I can breathe for at least a couple of hours a day. And, um, and, and so we, as a church, we orient everything we do, calendar, September through like July, when school ends, we get into summer mode where we realize there are big things like kids camp and there are big things like youth camp and there are picnics and celebrations, but most of us are scattered. But then we come back and we, in the fall, in September, post Labor Day, we want to get back and like the first day of any class, you look at a syllabus, you look at where you're headed, you look at what the goals, you look at what the purpose is. Maybe some of you do that, some of you just blow it off and skip class and hope your parents will pay for it. Uh, shame on you. Um, but, but what we're going to do for the next three weeks is just look at what are we particularly as a church called to do and to be? And you're already seeing it on the screen, a, a phrase that we use often here, helping people experience life in Jesus. But I want to look first at the text because the Bible matters and the rest is just commentary. So uh, Luke 10, and we'll start in verse uh, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? Or how do you understand it? How do you interpret it? And he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, quote, love your neighbor as yourself. If you have a Bible that has references, you realize He's quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He's quoting from the Bible, an expert in the Bible. Novel idea, quotes the Bible. And then Jesus replies, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, okay, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and then he gives a very graphic story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place where the man was, he saw him and he passed by the other side. But A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, and he brought him 
to an inn, a safe space, and, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, took out some money, and he gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And then Jesus brings it to center. Which of the three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We're going to read more actually after this text uh, next week or the following week. But I want us to take a couple of minutes and think about what it means for us uh, to help people experience life in Jesus. As a church, early on, our leadership is just trying. When you have so many people come from so many places, how do you help garner energy? How do you take everyone's potential? How do you take everyone's gift and, and point it in the same direction? Because a church is more than a business, right? We are a, a family, but a family not just to occupy, occupy space. We're a family with a purpose. God put us here in this part of this city and this state. He put us in this business park for reasons. And so as, as a church, we always want to think back like, okay, yeah, we come on the weekends and our community groups are going to happen. And we're going to hit into the rhythm of Sunday and then whenever your community group meets. And then we're going to have some men's events and some women's events. And that is all well and good. Before you know it, Christmas is coming. Have you done your shopping yet? It's September. You're already running behind. And this is just like the rhythm of, you know, we know the rat race is coming. Then it's a new year, and it's resolution. It's in breaking them, and then it's okay. And then we get into the spring, and the Easter's here, and then the spring is here, and spring is sprung, and summer's here, and goodbye, and we're all camping again. I'm not camping, but you're camping, whatever the case may be. But what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Helping people experience life in Jesus. It is as a church, if you're newer here, if you're you're part of a family for a long time. This is a good like, reminder. That's our what. What are we about? We're about, and over the next three weeks, I want to simply look at two words each week. This week, we want to look at helping people. It's what we're about. It's our passion. It's our focus. It's the, it's the what, we're, what we are doing and the reason we are calling you, and I'm calling myself, to up my commitment to Jesus, not, not just to this expression of Jesus' family. Look, I love the churches all over this city, and there's so much good happening, but I know that God brought the Newfells here at this point in time for reasons, and you know what? If you sense in your soul, and, and how, do you, how does it work here? Uh, we don't have a formal membership process where you go through a class, and you sign a document, and you say, I'm in. You know that you know that you know when you go from an attender and a visitor, and a spectator to, I'm in. You know it in your soul. And if you're thinking about if this is the place where God has called you to, fantastic. The next three weeks is going to be really clarifying for you to discern. If you already are in, it's just good to be reminded the very thing that God, if you say this is your church family, this is what God has called you to. You just may not know it yet. And what we want to do over the next year is in unpacking this phrase, express to us and encourage one another to now live into the thing that God has already birthed. We didn't make this vision statement up. We fasted and prayed and discerned and wanted to boil it down to so short that it would fit in a sticky phrase where I can, I can go and say, well, 26 West is about helping people experience 
life in Jesus. Let's just say it together. It's cheesy, but it's helpful. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Helping people experience life in Jesus. This is, this is who we are. Okay, uh, so, so what's going on? There, there are certain messages in life, if you're communicated, that you share out of passion, right? And so if, if I know if someone says, hey, can you come and talk about sharing Jesus with other people? I don't have to think twice. My answer is yes. And that, that like sharing messages about the importance of us getting out of our comfort zone to share Jesus with others, that's just like, I like love that stuff, and that's easy for me. There are other things that you share because they're true and they need to be shared, right? Like how are we to be organized as a church? Eldership and leadership and authority and respect. Man, that's not like my sweet spot, but it's true and it's good, so you, you share it. There are things in the Bible that are just, you're naturally passionate. There are things you're, you, you share because they're right and true and we should know the truth because the truth does really set us free to enjoy God. But then there are other things times that you're just called to, to communicate things that you're actually going through. And when, when we planned this out, I had planned to talk about the Good Samaritan. This was already on the books. You just have to know it and believe it and trust me on that. But the crazy thing is, I'm coming this morning out of a perspective of not an ancient story that Jesus told about a real important quality of following him, like I'm actually in the middle of walking through what this means. And I'll explain it later on. But what I want to do is I want to honor the Bible. Let's just walk through it. Okay, we, we read it. But let's walk through what, what, what is Jesus trying to say? What's the guy really asking? And what in the world does this have to do with helping people? Uh, sidebar. This is so familiar to many of us. We've already checked out. You've already checked out because you already know the point. But you may not know the point. So I need you to hang in there because there may be a dimension to this ancient story that's so well known that you, even though you've been reading the Bible for 50 years and you're godly and all that good stuff, you actually may not have all that Jesus has to say from it as it applies to your tomorrow. So I want you to lean in. Okay, let's just walk through it verse by verse. Verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That phrase shows up a couple of times in Luke and in Acts. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And I'll be honest, at a first glance, I like think of it as him asking Jesus, how can I know the living God? Or in our lingo, how do I know that I'm really rescued because inherit eternal life? And I think that that's the gift of God, right? And so is the teacher in the law asking a question about his relationship with God and if he knows God? And that I think the rest of the conversation leans us in a different direction. You see, at the time of Jesus, uh, all God's people believed that at the end of time, remember, he's already versed in the law. He's already a God follower. He's already a worshiper. He's already in tune with God. But God's people believed at the end of all time, when people pass away, there will be a resurrection of the righteous. When we die, we know that there's a day coming in the future. It's talked all about in the Bible that God is going to rise again, raise again his people, and that they're going to know him and serve him and love him. And so the, the man asking Jesus the question is actually thinking about rewards because at the resurrection of all things, 
God who is just and good and kind is going to reward his people with the blessing of knowing him. And so when, when, when the guy asks the question to test Jesus, he's, he's not testing to see if he's in the kingdom of God or not. He's actually asking a question like this. Jesus, when future blessing, when it, when it comes from God, how do I know that I'm going to receive it? He's asking about the quality of his life. He's actually leaning in towards questions that you and I ask. God, am I walking in a way that at the end of my life, it's going to bring great reward to you because I've honored you with my life. In the end, Lord, how do we live the life that most honors God? And if you're here, you're already telling me just like by your presence that this is actually an important question. This isn't a secondary question. How do you know that you're walking in the path that's most honoring to God, that at the end of all time, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And now, what happens in response? Verse 26. What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? I love Jesus and what he gives us 2,000 years later as the grid to know if your life is being lived well. Jesus does not quote an ancient philosopher. Jesus doesn't make up his own words. Jesus doesn't tell a cute little story. What does he do? He points back to the Bible. I love this. The Son of God asks the guy, well, how do you know what is written in the law? Because Jesus intuitively knows what sometimes we forget. If you and I want to know how we can live life in a way that's going to be best for us and honor God and bring great reward here and now and in, in the life to come because, look, we get 50, we get 60, we get 70, whatever you get, but eternity eclipses that. But the life I live now, the life you live now, can lean in to all eternity with God. This is the good news. And this is why following Jesus is more than just saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me. Take me to heaven, and I'll, I'll meet you there. If that's the good news, that has been so shortened and, and, and made so limp and lame. No, the good news is when we repent of our sin and turn to this gracious, loving God who sent his son Jesus to die and rise again, we know we have eternal life, life with God now to be lived with God now. And when you and I live with God now, we know the reward is God. And when you and I live with God in the age to come, the reward of what we've done with our life now is actually connected with the age to come. Some of us think, well, you know, it's not about now, it's about later. And I would say, well, you should read your Bible. Now actually matters in relationship to later. And so Jesus points this person to not just what he thinks about receiving God's blessing, because everyone has an opinion about God. Everyone has an opinion about spirituality. Everyone has an opinion about what's right and good and true and, and wrong and evil. And Jesus reminds us, look, because God loves us, he gave us the Bible. So this is just a side note, but it's just worth saying from time to time, read the Bible. Read it. Don't, but don't just read it because, like, Jesus' people should read it. Read it because if I want to know if I'm going to be a part of the beautiful thing that God is doing in the world and I'm going to be a part of the reward of life with God now, 
it, it matters what I pursue about God and what I know about God. Now, in, in this, we know he gets it right. Just keep reading verse 27. He answered, uh, and Jesus answers his question with a question. How do you read the Bible? He answered, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. And by the time of Jesus, by the way, this man is not alone as people study the scriptures. At the time of Jesus, when you were young, you were taught the Bible and often memorized large chunks of the Bible because God's people said, we want to hide God's word in our heart so that we would honor God with our lives. And look, if our lives are slipping in terms of the way we're living in relationship with God and people, the first litmus test I would ask of myself and I would suggest you would ask of yourself is where is my passionate pursuit of God in his word? And if I am if I'm not intent on hiding his word in my heart, it's a metaphor, but hiding his word in my heart that I would honor him with, with my life, then of course I'm gonna struggle with actually living in a way that honors God. So let's start at the source. So he, he gets the source right. Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he is a good teacher of the law. He's in tune. And, and then, interestingly, Luke gives a little slant on it because the conversation doesn't end. Verse 29, he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, okay, love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself, but that sounds vague. So this guy's a teacher. Jesus is a teacher. By the way, this is good. If you've ever been around a Jewish community till today, it's question, 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 question. I grew up in New York, and there's lots of um, ethnic Jews, and that's just a way of teaching and, and dialogue. So good teachers bounce questions back and forth. How do you read it? How do you read it? Well, the Torah says. Well, the Torah says. And so this is good to talk about the Bible and to figure out collectively what it means for life today. And by the way, that is the essence of why we do community groups. They're not just social clubs. It's not just a book club. It's not just a hangout. The goal is to be like Jesus and this, this teacher to wrestle with the text, to think about it, to talk about it, to learn. Every time I'm in my community group, and it's, it's kind of weird because I do most of the teaching. So I'm sitting in a group where we're dialoguing about what I wrote and said. But you know what? Our group is so amazing because they look past that and they let me participate. But the whole time, I'm, I'm learning from their perspective of what they heard me say. I'm thinking, wow, I didn't mean that. Or I never thought about that. So there's always something to learn in the Bible. It's why, again, I'm going to eventually get to helping people, but all of this matters. How are we going to help people? Well, we're going to need to know that our life is important to God. And what we do with our life really matters. We're going to have to bring these issues to God, and, and Jesus in his wisdom is going to point us back. Well, if you want to know how to help people, then you ought to open up the book. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the source for us to be united in vision and mission as a church, it doesn't come from us. It comes from us humbling ourselves and saying, I need this book to guide me, and I have the Holy Spirit to illumine my mind, and I have the community of God's people to make sure I don't get off course and that I interpret it well. So they're having this dialogue, and he says, in reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem 
to Jericho, about a 17-mile road, when he was attacked by robbers. By the way, at this point, they all know what's going on because this is already known as a dangerous road. And so Jesus tells a real example. Did this actually happen? Well, I don't know if this example of this person, but this would have been so typical, it wouldn't have been surprising because the road is winding, there's all sorts of caves, and there's places to hide. And so this is the place of worship. So people are going on this road to worship and going home through this road, but this road can be dangerous. So a very real encounter. The man's attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And so we're getting a real scenario of life today. You cannot wake up and open your news apps or wherever you get information and not be hit by real things. Now, this is not the point, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but it's a side note that's worth um, identifying. Jesus even validates that tragedies are going to happen. By, by him telling there's a man who was robbed and left for dead, Jesus is speaking the truth about life in this broken world because we've rebelled against God. Brokenness is found everywhere. And tragedy happens. And injustice is very common. Jesus doesn't speak around that. He actually speaks to it. And I just want to say, again, this is still the side note, that suffering is rarely conveniently planned. Have you found that to be true? Suffering, heartache, brokenness, it's, it's often most inconvenient. It doesn't like knock on your door or send you a little text, coming, 30 minutes, prepare. It just happens. And sometimes suffering or tragedy and justice is slow and you see it coming. Other times it's sudden. And sudden suffering does happen back then and it does happen today. And, and, and I'll say, I'll share a little bit more. It's happening like right now in my life. So I'm trying to learn how to help people experience life in Jesus, because that's our vision and mission. But I'm having, to, I'm having to learn how to live this out as a human. Forget about a leader. And so like, hopefully we're growing in this together. So, okay, back to Jesus' story. He points him to the word of God. The word of God is what shows us the ways of God. So get yourself grounded in the Bible. Okay, he answers the Bible correctly, but he actually doesn't understand. He can quote, Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. But he's misunderstanding what that means. And so it's why we come on Sunday. It's why we go in the midweek because we have to be honest with ourselves that sometimes we think we know what's right, but we're actually partly true and partly either ignorant or flat out wrong. And he's actually wrong in his view of neighbor, which we see really quickly. A priest, verse 31, happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, he passed by the other side. So again, this is so common. Two people working in the place of worship, the priest and the Levite, are closest to the presence of God when it comes to worship. And yet, when this person is in obvious brokenness and need, they pass him by. Now, it doesn't tell us about the nature of who this person is, other than he's a man who's been robbed. But for whatever reason, two people who work and worship close to the heart of God don't help this person. But the hero and the twist in the story, again, this is so common that we miss the punchline. He says to the teacher of the law, but a Samaritan, 
as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he's the one who took pity on him. And this is where we have to just pause for a moment. I don't know the ethnic background of the person who is broken, but you have to ask yourself, like, why in the world would a priest who's, like, serving at the heart of God, who reads the Bible, who knows the Word of God, why wouldn't he stop to help someone who's desperate and left for dead? And then the same thing with the Levite. You're left wondering, like, what kind of person just leaves a person half dead on the very road that leads you to the place of the heart of God. And, and Jesus very quickly insults him. Some of us think Jesus is just nice. Well, he is nice. But the truth can be insulting sometimes when you're not on its side. And it's obvious that this, this teacher of the law, lover of God, is not on the side of the truth as it relates to Jesus' understanding of the heart of God and helping people because Jesus has to wake him up with a shocking example because in his day, a good Jewish teacher isn't even going to Samaria. A good Jewish teacher doesn't eat with Samaritans. And a good Jewish teacher doesn't have to see a Samaritan as a neighbor. If you're a Samaritan or a Gentile, a non-Jew... You, you don't have to be included as one that I would consider to be a neighbor. And so Jesus somehow, in like one sentence, by using the Samaritan, who happens to be the hero of the story, who does what's right of the heart of God, reminds us that sometimes we think we're right in our heart towards God's heart of helping people, and he'll use dramatic examples to get us back on course. So, so the Samaritan becomes the hero. Verse 34. What does the Samaritan do? He went. He bandages wounds. He pours on oil and wine. So he, he cares for him. Now all three of them are going somewhere, but one stops. He put him on his own donkey. Either the donkey was carrying his things or the donkey was carrying him, but he, he gives his transport to the guy. He, he brings him to an inn. All of this notice takes time. And he took care of him. So he stops traveling and he invests in this stranger. And the next day, he leaves money to the innkeeper. So he gives above and beyond to make sure he's not left. And then, and then he's like, hey, I'm coming back this way and I'll pick up the tab for the rest of, of, of whatever he requires. And, and twice here, you see like he had compassion on him or pity on him. And, and that's a word in, in Greek, splachnizomai, which means from the innards, it means at the deepest gut, gut level, the Samaritan is the one who actually is compassionate from his soul towards the heart of a broken person. When in view, the, the, the teacher of the law here is like, Jesus, you and I are close. We're on track. And, and Jesus lovingly but he does insult him. says, actually, no, no, it's this person that you look down and despise. He's the one who shows a deep pity and a deep compassion. And um, in essence, the guy's asking, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is twisting it to say, well, if you want to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have to ask ourselves the question, do you live like a neighbor? Not who's your neighbor, not who do you help, but 
It's about your heart and your posture. The priest and the Levite don't seem to live with a neighborly way. But the Samaritan, deeply compassionate within, loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength by giving the stranger everything that he needs. So rather than asking, who is the person I'm supposed to help? It seems like Jesus is pointing us, and I'm getting to the vision and and mission and thrust of our church. Why are we here? What are we about? Well, we want to be shaped by Jesus. We want to be reshaped by Jesus. We want to be re-reshaped by Jesus. We want to be continually shaped by Jesus in such a way that the inner attitudes in our heart that are not like Jesus are transformed by the power of Jesus. And the end result in the story is the most important thing because when Jesus and this guy is having this question, it's really about what does it mean to actually love God? And if you're here and you say, man, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, great. What does that mean? And how do we as Jesus' people evaluate how we're doing at loving God with all our heart and mind and soul and, and strength? And it seems to me like, The connection that Jesus validates that it's loving God with everything, Deuteronomy, and loving your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus. Yes, that is, that's not all included in God's law, but that's the heart of it. Okay, so why are we here? What are we doing? What's our focus? In the end, our prayer, and my prayer for you, is that you and I, we would really deeply grow in desiring to help people. Um, We're not highly programmatic, and we're not looking to just do more things and, and create more curriculum and provide more opportunities. Learning is so important, and growth is so important, but bottom line, it seems like to follow Jesus well, to inherit eternal life, to walk into the kingdom of God at the end of my life, and at the accounting of all things, at the judgment seat of Christ, where, where everything's on display, and there's beauty and reward when God brings us into his remade world and we worship him here and now and we're rejoicing that we live the kingdom life. And what is the kingdom life? It is about helping people. So if you're here and you are not growing in your deep love for people, then man, we have more work to do. The end goal of you being here at 26 West Church ought to be about helping people. So what can we do to say, okay, that sounds generic, Jose, right? helping people. What, where does that really intersect? And, and, and what's going on in your life and world? I'll get to what's happening in our life right now. But I want us to think about just four things that I think could help define. I didn't make these things up. I actually listened to a great podcast by um, a Christian who's actually a business teacher, John Maxwell. And at the end of this podcast, he said five things that he does every day and anyone could do every day to help them live into all that God created them to be. And I narrowed down to four because I think five was too much. But, um, but when I look at the story of the Good Samaritan and, and just hearing this principle, I realized, yeah, there's something to this. And write this down. These are so simple, but man, they're profound. Number one, what does it mean for us to help helping people? Number one, we value people. We value people. The hero of the story should be the priest and the Levite, but rather it's the one that valued the stranger. Two didn't stop, but one did. And, 
And part of the heart of God and part of the reason he brought us here together, part of the reason he's growing us is that we would grow in valuing people. And you would think this would be obvious, but in our information and digital age, can we all agree that human relationships are being devalued? You don't, even know, you don't need a person at the store anymore. You have a scanner. You don't even need to go to a store, store. You can just order online and have a stranger who you'll never know their name drop it at the front so when you have ring, you can see the package and pick it up, right? We're living in a world that's growing increasingly unpersonal and desensitized to human touch. And so part of us pursuing God this year is we're going to ask ourselves the questions, are we valuing people on the priorities of your life and to-dos day in and day out? Are we valuing people. And, and this is what Jesus wants us to remember. The second thing is it's not just about valuing people, is we need to look for ways to value people. We, we want to grow in our ability, and this is what it means, in helping people experience the life of Jesus, that you and I, we're collectively, we are not just passively thinking it may happen someday, but we're looking for ways to value people. So three people are on the road, and one sees this person in a very broken situation as a person that he's been called to love and serve in very sacrificial ways. And so what we want to do this year is remember that the reason we are the church together here in the metro area, the reason we're calling ourselves to action again and again and encourage and stirring and growing and teaching and encouraging and hugging and crying together and all this stuff, the reason we're doing this is because people have value. You have value. And so we want to learn how to value one another. We want to see each other as more than random strangers in the row, you know? Why do coffee and donuts? Because sugar and caffeine will keep you buzzed so you leave. No, it's because we want to create a culture when you come in. It's a bite to eat. And why are we about more than Sunday but in homes? Because I can only have a 10-minute, 15-minute, 20-minute here, but we can go deep when I'm at your house or you're at mine. Or we can grab a meal afterwards because you said something around that circle in the living room that made me think, gosh, I need to press into that because I value people. By the way, when we commit to a community group, we're not saying we're going to be best friends forever. We're not. But we're saying for eight weeks of our life, I'm looking for ways to value you. I'm saying that my work that I should be doing right now is less important than time with you. That, that, that Netflix, you know, or the Apple TV, you know, the, the latest craze, it may be valuable to me checking out mentally, but I'm, you are more valuable. It's chaotic, because if you have kids in your community group, this chaos compounds, right? And noise, and okay, so we couldn't get to every question. Okay, so we couldn't get to any question. Okay, so we couldn't get to anything. But we valued the experience of we spent an evening together because we belong to Jesus. And we're looking for ways to add value and love and care. Do you see what I'm getting at? The, the church isn't about meetings and messages. It's about, it's about valuing people. It is about looking for ways to value people because the Samaritan, verse 20, uh, 33, he when he came to where he was, he saw him and he took pity, he had compassion on him. And so we want to grow in that. The third thing is we don't just want to look for ways to value people. We want to do things to value 
people. So let me ask you, do, do we behave as neighbors? Because the question he asks is, who's my neighbor? And Jesus flips it. It's like, no, you are called to be neighborly. As a God person, as a Jesus follower, you were created to look for ways to value people and then actually do things. So I'll, I'll tie it in. So uh, I was in uh, Kenya preaching uh, an outreach on behalf of this church. I am sent out to preach the good news with local churches. So I'm in Kenya, and I'm wrestling with, on July 30th, my mom had some sort of episode at my sister's house that freaked us all out and immediately led to doctor's appointments and this and that. So from July 30th here to September, whatever date is the 10th, I, I have been trying to follow Jesus and navigating my mom's decline. And over the last couple of weeks, it's intensified so much that my dad, who is in f- not frail health, but he has some health challenges, her situation, and my dad trying to love and value my mom and serving her, is, his health is declining. And so we're here last week, and I'm just going to be here to chill and hear Stephen teach and introduce John as our new worship pastor. And in a moment, I'm in a car, and I'm driving down to Medford where they live, and like caught <laughs> chaos. And like, whoa. But I want you to get the point. Because it's my mom and dad, it wasn't weird for, I, I told our team, like, guys, I have no idea. I just have to go. I don't know when I'll be back. I don't know how I'm going to make this all work, but I'm going to go. And everyone's like, oh, of course. And we have the most loving and supporting elder team and staff team. And like, we're with you. And go down. And I'm there till Tuesday. And, and there's all sorts of medical stuff happening. And I'm trying to feed my parents and shop and clean and manage the chaos. Just, just like in the story, it's the person who valued someone in need, looked for ways to value them, and actually did something who's loving God. So it's no surprise. I mean, saying, oh, Jose, oh, any, anyone would do that for their parents if they loved and cared for them, their good relationship. So I get back on uh, Tuesday night, I think. I'm, I'm kind of spaced out right now. And then the next thing you know, after, no, I'll get here on a Monday. We have all-day meetings Tuesday. And then I'm, I'm supposed to be in Minneapolis on Thursday for a one-day meeting and realize, oh, snap, hours before I'm taking the flight for this one-day meeting, I'm like, I got to jump in the car. And some more challenging things have come up. And there I am. I'm just throwing stuff in the bag and drive down there. And, and the last few days have been total chaos. And it's like, okay, this weekend, and so how are we going to pull this off? And when am I going to get back? And I don't know. And so finally, I'm able to leave the hospital where my mom is right now in a safe environment and getting some testing that she needs. And I get up at 2.30, and here I am this morning uh, trying to add value. Here, here's the point, that I'm being pushed in. Of course I would do it for my mom and dad, but am I willing to live that way for other people? So for your best buddy, for your relative, of course you're going to do that. Now, disclaimer, you're not God's solution to everyone's problems, and I'm not saying you're supposed to not do anything because the guy in the story actually leaves and finishes his business, and he comes back. Did you notice that? He helped him in the emergency, but he went on his way, and then he came back. But I've been really, like, pushed in my soul as I've been walking through this 
with people that I love, surrounded by people that love me and support me. Like, Jose, all this support one for another, this is really good and this is right and this is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is loving neighbor, but are you willing to do that for the person that you don't care that much about? Are you willing to go to that extra effort for the stranger who has an equally serious need? So I'm not, I'm not trying to bring conviction to you. I'm, I'm just telling you the conviction I'm feeling in my own soul. And so I'm even growing and learning of what it means to, I thought I understood the helping people part, but Jesus is even pushing me as well. Final thing, fourth thing, and we're gonna do, we're gonna respond and worship. Funny thing, as I'm preaching right now, my sister's calling me, um, which I gotta decline, and my sister's the primary caregiver. So if I slip out afterwards, I'm not being rude. She knows I'm preaching right now, so who knows? Uh, fourth thing, and we'll be done. Encourage others to value people. So we need to start with seeing people as God sees them and, and seeing people as the most important dimension of our life. We want to look for ways to value people. We want to keep our eyes wide open and encourage one another to keep our eyes wide open. We want to do things that value people. We want to actually be active in our faith and serving one another. But then at the end, Jesus says, I, verse 37, I love this. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Who's the neighbor? And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so this is the invitation for us who call 26 West Church home this year. Are we going to be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in our soul to push the envelope of what it means for us to help people, value people, look for ways, do things that value? And then how are we going to spur one another on? And to me, if we will press in on this the other dimensions of our calling, experience life in Jesus will follow, but it begins with people. And so what we want to do uh, this morning as the team comes back and leads us, we're going to come to communion in a moment. And we always come to communion, communion in our gathering. Look, not out of religious rote. We, um, I'm, I'm not concerned about taking it every time we come together because it's just a good thing. Because I need the visual reminder every week, the way to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself is the presence of Jesus in my life. And the bread is the reminder that his body, his real person was broken to bring me back to life in God and his blood was given to bring me back to life in God. So every week we come here to remind ourselves these, these are not guilt trips. These are not like high bars that we can never cross. No, Jesus made you to serve, value, love, care for people. And there are very real, specific people that he's putting in your pathway consistently. And now he's inviting you because you're a part of this church to love and help people because this is the kingdom of God. So I invite you to stand on your feet if you would. And we're gonna take a moment and just be quiet and just ask God simple questions. And I'm going to throw out a few. There's, if you need to close your eyes because people are distracted, then do it. Just simple questions. Like, God, how can I become more like a neighbor? God, help me. I want to be more like a neighbor. God, like what attitudes need to be, need to be adjusted in my life to live more like a neighbor? Questions like, God, what person, what people are you inviting me 
to look for, to do things, to encourage others to get involved, to live like a neighbor. Or maybe really clear, Lord, um, what action am I supposed to take right now to the person I know you've called me to, to the situation I've been fearful to step into, to the environment where I've been a little selfish and I haven't given myself to that because that's going to cost me something, whatever the case may be, we want to invite the Holy Spirit to, to do his work and to help us to respond in ways that honor Jesus. Lord, we, we are here because we want to love you with all that we are. And God, in doing that, I thank you that you've already empowered us and called us to help, to value people that you care about more than we ever will. So, King Jesus, move us in this area. Grow us in this area. Uh, challenge us in this area, we pray. And empower us, Holy Spirit of God, to now take action, to, to see what we did not see before walking in this room, to do what we did not do because we felt powerless or we were just too busy. God, we want to live as your people, not just tomorrow, but today. So we thank you, Spirit of God, for the ability to respond to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering Podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.